Thanks so much, Pastor Dave, for uh, opening up the Word for us this morning. Uh, we are glad that you're here with us uh, today. It's a privilege to open up God's Word for you. Those of you that are out here, thanks so much for, uh, for braving the rain. Um, although I was told in the first service that the rain was uh, appropriate for our message today as we consider emotions. Um, so let the, let the rain just kind of set the stage for you if you're here. If you're at home, we are, we are certainly glad that you're with us, uh, watching with us and worshiping with us. Um, it, is, it, is good to be, it is good to be with you this morning. Um, we are uh, continuing a series on the book of Proverbs, and we're looking at the topic of wisdom each week, uh, or how, how wisdom relates to different topics. And if you'll remember, uh, the way that we've defined wisdom is that wisdom is competence in regards to the complexities of life. And so I, I can't think of any greater complexity in life than our emotional capacity. And so this morning, what I'd, I'd like to do is discuss how wisdom should impact our emotions. Now, recently, I, I came across an article detailing how researchers are trying to incorporate artificial intelligence into the, uh, the workplace. Now, now, most of us here are probably familiar with the, the benefit that digital assistance can bring uh, us in our home and our work. Well, this report, this report was from last December, and it was from the AI Now Institute at New York University. And what they were doing was they were trying to develop an artificial intelligence machine that can read our emotions. Now, for some of us, that's terrifying. <laughs> but uh, you can, you know, if, in certain fields, you can see the benefit with that. Uh, but there was a major problem with the experiment. It just didn't work. Right? Despite all the advances we have today with products like Siri and Alexa and Google Home, machines cannot read and understand our emotions. In fact, there's evidence to suggest that when companies try to implement uh, these systems in hiring exercises or, or law enforcement surveillance, there's negative consequences. And so the moral of that story, I would say, is this. We are not machines. We are not machines. Humans are rich, complex, emotional beings with the capacity to love and to be in love and to get angry and to experience jealousy and, and sadness. In fact, during the last six months, I would venture to say that all of us have experienced a wide range of emotions, right? Isolation breeds loneliness and anger and sadness, right? And, and lack of human interaction has made us keenly aware of our need for love and encouragement and empathy. This pandemic has shown us where our hope truly lies. Now, 
Solomon writes this in Proverbs 13, 12, which they've read before. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And so I just asked today, does anybody listening have a sick heart? Now, hope is a powerful emotion, right? It, it's, a, it's a feeling of expectation for a certain thing to happen. In other words, hope looks into the future and anticipates the fulfillment of a desire. And desire itself is an even stronger feeling. In fact, desire has been described as emotion in overdrive. That when you desire something, it can consume every one of your waking thoughts. And here's the thing. When our hopes and our desires are not realized, our hearts get sick. When grandparents can't see their grandchildren due to concern they might get sick from the coronavirus, it makes your heart sick. When the people of God cannot see each other and, and sing together as we used to, it makes your heart sick. When people can't see your, your smile because we're so often wearing masks, it makes your heart sick. Is your heart sick today? See, when our hope is deferred, when our desires go unfulfilled, it makes our hearts unhappy. And I would just ask, why is that? Because we're emotional creatures. Now, when we say hope is deferred, it means it's postponed, but that certainly doesn't mean we don't have hope. Because one day, at the end of time, Jesus will eradicate our pain and make all things new. But the question for us in, in, before that time comes is, how do we wisely handle our emotions until our hope becomes a reality? And so I'm titling the message today, Wise Emotions. And for the rest of our time, what I'd like to do is look at several specific emotions, the emotions of fear, of anger, and of sadness. When our hope is deferred and our desires go unrealized, these three emotions often follow. I think many times in successive order, there's fear, then there's anger, and then there's sadness. And what I want to teach us today is that when those emotions come, the wise thing to do is to both embrace the emotions and to fight them. Now, I know some of you are probably saying, well, that, that, sounds, that sounds counterintuitive, right? On, on the one hand, my therapist told me that I should embrace my feelings and I should explore them. And on the other hand, when I was a teenager, my youth pastor said I should, I should fight those emotions, I should get away from them. And what I'm going to suggest today is the application is maybe it's both, to embrace and to fight. And Proverbs has an awful lot to say about emotions. So as we wade into these deep waters, let's pray as we begin. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for my friends who are both here and who are watching online. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend upon this place, that you would be with my friends who are, who are, who are out there watching, Lord, whether in their homes, whether they're watching now, whether later on, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, move on our hearts today, Lord. Father, I pray that you would open up our, our hearts to, to a that we, we might have a deeper understanding of our interior lives and that we might give ourselves more fully to you, Lord Jesus, to experience your healing and your hope and recognize that our desires are ultimately fulfilled in you, Lord Jesus. We pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. So the question I would ask as we start here today is what is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? Now, it's interesting to me that fear is often a wide ranging emotion, right? Some of us listening today, we might have a fear of heights. I remember my mom, when I was a kid, would never ride the Ferris wheel with me at the fair 
because she was deathly afraid of heights. And I, and I never understood that because I never was. But some of, some of you might be afraid of heights. Others of us are afraid of things like snakes or bugs or close spaces or going to the doctor. You might be afraid of, of one of those things. In fact, almost all of you, whether you're here or listening at home, are probably deathly afraid of what I'm doing right now, which is public speaking. By all accounts, studies tell us that that's one thing people are afraid of a lot. Fear is an unpleasant emotion, and fear is, is a belief that someone or something is dangerous. Now, back in April, when Amanda and I were briefly sick with the coronavirus, I, I remember being afraid of the unknown related to that illness. As we enter the final legs of the presidential campaign, this election this fall might make some of us afraid of what might happen. What are you afraid of? Now, one of the byproducts of, being, of fear is anxiety. Look at what Solomon writes in Proverbs 12, 25. He says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Now, if you look at the first part of that verse, it says anxiety in our hearts, it weighs us down. And so I'd ask, what causes us to be anxious? Specifically, it's fear, right? And more specifically, fear of what is to come. And those of us who wrestle with anxiety know there is a, a physiological reaction in our bodies, right? When you get anxious, your heart beats faster. You, your breathing gets shallower. Your, your mind starts racing and thinking about all the awful scenarios that might happen and play themselves out. In fact, some days, some days it takes all your strength just to get out of bed and function. In fact, you might even feel like there's, that, there's a weight on your chest, Anxiety in someone's heart weighs them down. There was a 2017 study from the National Institute of Mental Health which showed that on college campuses, anxiety is the most common mental health concern. In fact, if you Google, and you can see this fun graphic I found at home, if you Google COVID and anxiety, you will find pages and pages of links that tell you how to handle your COVID anxiety. One of them is not to scroll through social media because social media is not good for your mental health because people are constantly posting about the problems in our world. In fact, other people have suggested that we live in an age of anxiety because through technology, we are acutely aware of every bad thing that can happen or is happening. In fact, how many of you have ever Googled uh, health symptoms you're experiencing? Right? And every time you Google health symptoms you're experiencing, you always walk away and feel like you're going to die, right? It's terrible. Don't do that. If you're out at the store right now and you see somebody cough or sneeze, you turn into Kramer and you're like, and, and you start fearing for your life, right? We're, we are anxious people. Anxiety weighs our hearts down, but it says a good word makes us glad. Now, what is the antidote to fear and anxiety? Well, I want to suggest it is a different kind of fear. Look at what Solomon writes in Proverbs 10.27. He says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. And you say, hold up. You mean fear can actually be life-giving? Yeah, if it's the right kind of fear. Now, now, let me explain something about the fear of the Lord. You may remember back in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, which Dave did a great job preaching on back at the beginning of the series. We are told that the fear of the Lord is the what? It is the beginning of knowledge, right? It's the beginning of knowledge. So let's break that down, church, right? The concept of knowledge is closely tied to wisdom. 
And more than that, to have knowledge is to have, is to have a correct understanding of the world and of oneself as a creature made by the magnificent and loving God of the universe. In other words, the fear of the Lord is to understand the reality of who you are and who God is. And when you understand who God is, you don't need to be afraid of anything else. But to have the fear of the Lord means you are, you're submitting your life to the God of the Bible and now his blessing rests on you and guess what? He prolongs your life. Why? Because you stop worrying about things that don't matter. And we stop being afraid of things that don't have power. Look at Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. He says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Boom. Mic drop, mind blown. Right? Now, I'm sorry, church, but do we get this? I'm studying this this week, and I'm asking myself, do I get this? Right? Because we often live such fearful lives that we forget what we should really be afraid of. And, and listen, I know this, I, the fear of the Lord, I know it's so counterintuitive. But what does he say here? He says, fearing the Lord brings confidence. Fearing the Lord is a fountain of life. Fearing the Lord causes us to escape from death? Yes, because my God is greater than whatever else I'm afraid of. And if you want to beat anxiety, if you want to overcome your fears, you have to focus your fear on the only one who is worthy of it. So, how do we wisely manage our fear? And so I'm going to do this for each of these emotions. Each of these emotions are going to teach us something about ourselves and then we'll have some applications. So fear, I would say, fear shows us where we place our trust. That's what it shows us. And the application for each emotion, as I mentioned at the beginning, is that we have to embrace and fight. So first, you have to embrace your fear. And if you're at home, or even if you're here, you can turn to somebody and say, I will embrace my fear. I will embrace my fear. Now, why do we need to embrace our fears? Because we have to understand more about what makes us afraid. Now, in the past, I've done counseling to explore parts of me that are afraid. And in that process, I always ask the question, what does my fear teach me about my relationship with God? And often, the, the thing that I'm afraid of revealed that I was trusting in something other than God for my security. So I got on my knees and I gave it to God, but I couldn't have done that if I didn't at some level embrace that fear because the opposite of embracing fear is denial or escape and those actions are never helpful. But we can't just embrace our fears, we also need to fight those fears. In other words, once we understand more of why we are afraid, now we can start to fight against the fears by standing on the truth of God's word. Fearing the Lord means we have confidence in him. And I know for some of us that might sound elementary, but I, th I think we, we neglect this oftentimes, that, that, that we need to search the scriptures and make a list of all the promises God has given to us. We need to saturate our hearts with the promises of God. Because we're complex emotional creatures, and when our hopes and desires are not fulfilled, our first step is to fear. And that's natural, I get it. We get afraid and our hope, if our hopes don't come to fruition. 
But as time goes on, our fear can lead to anger. And that's the second emotion, anger. Anger is a powerful emotion. When we get angry, it causes us to do things and say words that we often regret and we have to apologize for down the road. Has anybody ever had that happen to them? In fact, I want you to pause for a moment and just ask your heart. Ask your heart, I'm going to give you a second here, what makes you angry? And what are the circumstances surrounding that anger? Let me just give you a few seconds to do that. Ask yourself, what makes you angry and what are the circumstances surrounding your anger? At the end of June, the Washington Post published an article, an interesting article, entitled, Americans are Living in an Anger Incubator. And considering everything that's happened since March, initially there was a, a great amount of fear surrounding the, the, this viral global pandemic. But fear eventually turned into what? It turned into anger. If there's one thing I hear today, it's that Americans are angry. What's happening in the incubator? Right? There's civil unrest surrounding racial issues. At the same time, we're dealing with the anger provoked by a coronavirus pandemic where some of us are angry at public officials because they've shut down parts of society. Others of us are angry because they haven't done more to curb the virus. Some of us are angry about being required to wear a mask. Others of us are angry because people are not wearing a mask more often. We're angry when anyone doesn't see things the right way, right? Personally, I've had anger over visitor restrictions in hospitals. We are in an incubator of anger, and people are feeling like they're going to explode. We had hopes and desires of this thing ending, but it hasn't yet. So how do we wisely handle our angry emotions? Solomon gives us a wise word about anger in Proverbs 14, 29, and 30. He says... Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, and he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. Now, I want you to notice that first clause. Slowness to anger is associated with greater understanding. Why would that be? Well, I got to tell you, nobody ever says, you know what, I got in a fight, and I immediately flew off the handle, and it helped me see the big picture. Right? Nobody ever says that. And I got to tell you from experience, listen, in the Irving house, uh, if we have a disagreement or someone gets hurt by somebody's words, the initial anger never, ever results in greater understanding or empathy. You know, that hasty temper results in folly, and it's only later when emotions are calm that greater understanding comes. And so the reason we can't see the big picture and understand the other person is because anger often causes us to focus on ourselves. Because in that moment, what happens? In that moment, I want to win the argument. In that moment, I, I'll talk over my spouse because I don't feel heard. Very often, the reason we get angry is because we don't get what we want. And in fact, I'll take it a step further. Many times we're angry because we think God owes us something he hasn't given to us. 
I had a hope and a desire that God did not fulfill. Why, God? Why? I wanted it so bad. It's okay to get angry. God can handle it. How do you physically feel when you get angry? Your blood pressure goes up. You feel tight in the chest. You can feel exhausted. I mean, there's a reason he says that a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh because anger takes away your peace. Now, you might be sitting there saying, and you say, what about righteous anger? Well, there's a place for that, but let's be honest. More often, we're dealing with unrighteous anger. And the wise person trains themselves to be slow to that kind of anger. Otherwise, damage can happen. Proverbs 15, 18. Hot tempers start fights. A calm, cool spirit keeps the peace. (laughs) Who has a hot temper out there? Those tempers can sear the souls of those you love. And so consider that anger incubator of America. As followers of Christ, can't we be people of peace? And I'm not talking about thwarting our convictions, but, but we don't want to be known as people of anger. When people come at us with criticism and tempers flaring, may we heed the words of Proverbs 15.1. A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. See, before we respond in anger in our families, with our friends, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, ask yourself, what does wisdom require of me? A gentle response will diffuse anger and give us greater understanding of the other person. So let's apply this. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but we first need to embrace our anger. And the reason we need to embrace our anger is because it will show us at least two things. First, it will show us where we've been hurt and need healing. It will show us where we've been hurt and need healing. Now, I believe all of us have wounds inside our hearts. And when that scab of that wound is ripped off and pulled off, we get angry. Certain words or actions are are triggers for that emotion. It reveals an area of my heart where I need the Holy Spirit to bring the healing and apply gospel truth to my life. Now, secondly, embracing our anger shows us what we care about. It shows us what we care about, and that can be good or bad. See, if someone tries to hurt my family, I get angry. On the other hand, if someone takes away something I care about, like a title or a possession, I I get angry there too, right? It shows me an area of my heart where I need to trust God more. So let me give you a challenge, a really practical step for this week. Every day, I would invite you to pause for 15 minutes and reflect on what, just this week, what makes you angry and journal about it. And ask those two questions, where do I need healing and what do I care about? And I'll wager your anger provides some insights into those answers. By embracing our anger, we learn more about our interior life. But then we also need to fight our anger. And I know that sounds funny, right? We're going to fight our anger, right? We're going to get angry as we fight. But we have to do it with skill and confidence. Look at Proverbs 29.11. It says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise person quietly holds it back. Wisdom calls us to fight our anger, otherwise we're fools. How does that look? Well, first, first I would say we cannot allow explosive anger to rule us, and some of us do. We allow it to rule us. And so to say here, to give full vent to my spirit is to indicate that I have given volition to my emotions. 
But you have to realize you can say no to anger and bring it under the lordship of Christ. Second, as I recognize what makes me angry, I give myself space. And what I mean is that I pause before I speak and I consider the needs of the other person. And that moment of space and pause allows me to take that anger captive. And listen, I know that's not easy, but developing wise emotions requires skill that comes from above. So when our hopes and desires are not met, we get afraid first, I think. And then we get angry, secondly. But finally, once that anger disappears, we get sad. We experience sadness. And that emotion is the most poignant of all. That when our hopes and desires are unfulfilled, there's a grief we experience. Perhaps you you had the hope of getting married, but you never found the right person. Maybe you were hoping for a cure for an illness, but then you found out it was terminal. Maybe you really wanted to get into that college, but then you got that rejection letter. In fact, I think many of us, Christians in particular, are not well acquainted with sadness because we often try to run from it. We don't want to be sad. We just want to be happy. But that doesn't change the reality inside of us. It just stunts our awareness. Look at Proverbs 14, 13. Really interesting proverb. It says, Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. Now, in my study of Proverbs, this one, as I just mentioned, was, I think this was the most interesting to me. Why? Well, we, we don't associate laughter with sadness, right? We associate it with happiness. <laughs> Somebody's laughing and you think they're happy, right? But that's not what this proverb says. It says th- there's a dissonance here. What Solomon is writing and saying is that there's some laughter that's actually a cover for pain. You may be laughing, but your heart is aching. That superficial joy will end and it's going to bring you back to grief. Now, some of us were raised in families, families like this, right? That instead of embracing sadness and and, and pain, we made jokes about it in an attempt to escape. And so maybe you went with your friends and you watched uh, your favorite sitcom and you laughed a bunch. But then after that was done, the pain came back. It was still there. You didn't escape sadness. You just buried it. But when you bury sadness, it will affect other areas of your life. You're going to start to feel alone. Look at Proverbs 14.10. It says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Your heart is alone. No one can fully share your joys because you aren't letting anyone truly know your sorrows. No wonder you feel alone, friends. You're hiding your true self. And then your sadness doesn't feel like a quick sickness. It feels like an oppressive disease. Look at Proverbs 18.14. It says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Now there's a difference between a 24-hour bug and a chronic disease. Your spirit is crushed and you're feeling all alone. You think the world is out to get you and you've lost your hope. See, sadness can easily turn into depression. What does wisdom tell us about sadness? Well, first, let me reiterate that Christians don't like to be sad. Just honestly. We don't like to lament. We want to be happy. It's the reason very few worship songs are written in the minor key 
because that would just make us sad. Now, personally, I've been, I've been really touched recently by the transparency of one of our world partners named Clint Watkins. Um, you may remember him. He, spoke, he preached here last year. He and his wife uh, work for a, a ministry called Disciple Makers, and, and they've been walking through some challenging times recently. If you know, so I know some of you know their story. Some of you might not know their story. You can look them up. Uh, they got a blog, and they're on social media. Um, but he recently wrote a blog post <clears throat> about the idea of suffering and sadness and lamenting. And I think, I think at least part of it's worth sharing, so I want to I share this with you. If you're at home, it's on a screen. If you're here, uh, just, you have to listen. He writes this. He says, In the midst of amplified uncertainty, may we turn up the volume on the very song the Lord gave us for times like these. May we sing like God's people in the Scriptures. May we not fight the battle for hope with an incomplete arsenal that only equips us with positive proclamation. May we be real about our pain, honest with our questions, and fervent in our petitions. May our lyrics be like those of David, Job, and Christ himself. May we sing songs that give voice to sorrow and pave the way for authentic praise. He says, may we lament. Lament is not contrary to hope and suffering. It's the path to it. And in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of personal pain, in the midst of isolation, some of us need to lament today. Clint's got a whole worship list of songs on his Spotify account. I'd encourage you to look him up, find those, and discover the benefits of singing songs of lament. Because when we minister to people in this sadness stage, we need to remember Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. In other words, if you take off my coat when I'm cold, you're not helping me. And if you try to be happy when I'm sad, it's like you're pouring vinegar on my wound. You see, listen, running away from sadness doesn't help. You can try to bury sadness, but the problem is that sadness will resurrect itself when you least expect it. And so just like our other emotions, as painful as it may be, we have to embrace sadness because sadness shows us what breaks our heart. Sadness shows us what breaks our heart. And embracing sadness gives us a more complex view of the world and helps us understand our joy better. And so I'd encourage you today, friends, find a good Christian friend in your life who you can talk with and walk with through your sadness. Get a Stephen minister if you need one. We have a great Stephen ministry program here. Find a counselor. We can recommend some to you. We need to process through our sadness and, and allow it to help us grow. But we also, I would say, need to fight our sadness. <clears throat> because as I said, sadness can lead to depression. And that's not a place we want to be long term. Proverbs 15.30 says this, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Have you ever looked into somebody's eyes and you just saw that the light was gone? Right? Depression can take away your light. And when that happens, we need good news. We need to come back to the gospel. So again, let me challenge you, church. Here's another challenge. Check in with your heart this week. Look at fear and anger and sadness because fear shows us where we're placing our, our trust. 
Anger shows us where we need healing, and sadness shows us what breaks our heart. Each day, review those emotions and ask God where you need the gospel to come in and bring healing. As we close, let me come back to Proverbs 13, 12. Again, Solomon writes there, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, throughout this message, my goal has been to show you how the loss of hope and desire can lead to an emotional response. Because even though we may appear okay on the outside, we can be very heart sick. Fear, anger, sadness, they can all take a toll on us unless we both embrace and fight them. But the only way to find true healing is to look at the end of verse 12. The end of verse 12 is very interesting. What's, what's the word that's used there, the phrase? The tree of life. Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And you say, well, what does that mean? What was that? Where is that? Well, if you look all the way back to the book of Genesis, you will see that in the Garden of Eden, there was something called the tree of life. And in the garden, it was paradise, right? Life flourished. Adam and Eve walked with God. This fear and anger and sadness, well, they, they, didn't, they weren't there. They didn't come until after the fall in Genesis 3. But I think what, what the proverb is pointing to is that the cure for our heart sickness, in order for us to find hope and fulfill our desires, Proverbs 13, 12 is showing us that we have to get back to this tree of life. And you say, how? By embracing the wisdom that comes from God. Or should I say, by embracing the very wisdom who is God himself. And don't you see that Jesus Christ... Right, the logos, the wisdom of God, came to earth and went to another tree, a tree of death. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he provided the way back to the tree of life. And while he lived on this earth, he, he experienced all the emotions we experience. Chief among them is compassion and love for his people. His love and compassion took him to that tree of death, but he experienced all these emotions along the way. And in the garden... Jesus experienced fear as he prayed for the cup to pass from him. On the cross, Jesus took on the righteous anger, the wrath of God against sin, which brought him incredible loneliness. On the cross, Jesus experienced the greatest sadness one would ever know, the Father turning his back on him. Because of his sacrifice, though, this is the promised future hope for us. New heavens and new earth. And it says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's the future hope. And that future hope allows us to have wise emotions today and that's good news. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the rain And for its reminder of your grace, we thank you that you know what it's like to experience sadness. You know what it's like to be afraid. Lord Jesus, you came to earth and you experienced all the things that we experience. But most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice and for the life that it brought us, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, I pray for my friends today as they're experiencing these emotions. Lord, I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would come and bring healing where healing needs to happen. I pray this week that we would reflect 
that we would both embrace and fight, and fight those emotions, Lord, and that through that we would, we would learn more about you and place a greater trust in you in everything that we do. Thank you for today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.